hope you can see me like I see myself now. This was a sentence from the caption under an Instagram post where pop artist Sam Smith asked to be gendered as they. More and more individuals are experimenting with the idea of different forms of name and identification to achieve this exact goal of being the same on the outside to others as they feel on the inside. And this is inherently political, and many don't really understand the inherent importance of this in this time in history. I'm Daniel Akinola Odisola, and today on Doubt of Living, we're talking about what's in a name. As I've said in other episodes, we're narrative-driven beings, and we use any indication to help us categorize people. We also love to naturally establish in-groups and out-groups, so we can make further decisions about how people are going to act and how our environment is going to change. Names are our first impressions. They're sort of our gateways to understanding what sort of socio-political and cultural situation we're in and what another person might likely do or believe and they're often given by people of authority so your parents will often be the ones that name you and they will exist within a culture and this is clear within towns and political boundaries and countries where they've been renamed by outside forces and maybe it's because a different religion or a different ethnicity have taken over the region. So this is kind of the same idea with people. And it's why talking about this and understanding why people would choose to take new names or establish different identities is really important to understanding the nature of people. In this episode, we're going to look at names as far as the names you're given first and last name, as well as gender and race a little bit, just to understand where these things are in terms of how we understand research, how we understand culture, and what they really mean and the power they hold. The features of names that are indicative of what impression they're going to have could be anything from how long they are to how soft or hard the sounds are to how foreign or common, how unusual the name might be. And the views on these things can change within generations or within regions. I'm going to try and get through as much as I can because for this I outlined way more than I can get through in this time. But first names. The main thing I got from this was when it came to gender, ambiguous names such as Ashley and what seemed to happen in some of the research and some of the kind of longitudinal work that people had been looking into is that those boys that had more ambiguous names were more likely to have behavioural issues and this was made worse when a girl with the same name was in their class. And what we've seen in different cultures is also the self-fulfilling 
based on community expectations, which is a really big thing when it comes to parenting and schooling. So parents, teachers, community members, if they have a preconceived notion about what someone with a certain type of name is, it has shown to affect the way they even treat that child. And this is something that you really need to be aware of before you go into the full extent of thinking this is why the child is this way. And when we move this further down the line to university, Savage and Wells wrote a paper back in 1948 that basically identified that in a group of 3,300 men, the more unusual names led to more negative psychological effects regarding academic achievement. And the reproductions of these findings basically highlighted that socioeconomics tended to be an underlying factor more than, you know, xenophobia or something. And the West obviously has some cases with race in it as well, which is still happening today in some fields. Brett Pelham is the person that basically did a decent amount of work on naming tendencies and occupations. And one term that Pelham, Carvalho and Jones researched was implicit egotism, which is people's tendency to gravitate towards people, places and things that resemble themselves. And after criticism about saying, what about the confounding variables, which is what I would say, they did do more census data analysis, or he did, that accounted for these confounding variables. And there does seem to be some sort of trend in people gravitating towards things like them, even to the point of alliteration of people finding jobs or careers that fit their name or fit the beginning of their name, or if they happen to have a name like Baker, then they might go in that direction. But as with all of these things, to make bigger causal claims about it is sometimes a bit strong because Obviously, there are bakers that aren't bakers, if you get what I mean. And nominative determinism is kind of the overarching idea that your name determines. So it's saying that this is an actual thing, and people are still debating how strong these links are, but they do exist to some at least correlational level. Research also looked into faces and about names being attached to faces and what it tended to find within culture was that people could look at a face have an option of five names and better than chance guess what name matched the face and again this is the cycle of self-fulfillment and the idea that once you see a name if someone's rosy now most likely rosy isn't necessarily going to be the most brutal person or the most androgynous person, or an Esther will not be as well, or a Beverly. But the interesting thing about the machine learning looking at this was the fact that they were able to highlight that the eyes, which form voluntary expressions, were the most useful aspect in being able to correctly guess the name which shows that the name is tying to the person's personality or inner, which is showing the outer. Surnames really are only a kind of recent thing in history, and most of it had to do with the 
occupation, location, or the father of the bearer, so Johnsons, Bakers, Smiths, etc., especially in the West, and in other communities it kind of just caught on more arbitrarily. Well, looking at surnames, the other interesting thing was a 2006 research by some economists where they looked at initials in the last name and how that tied to prestigious universities and winning Nobel Prizes and they looked at how the earlier names or earlier letters look like they're more likely to achieve these things but when you look at the underlying analysis it mostly would have to do with the fact that someone with an A name is most likely to sit at front of the class and if they were ever in a paper with other people, say five other people, they would most likely be at the front of the paper in many fields. So naturally, they're going to look like they're at the forefront, they're engaged in their learning, etc. And thus becoming people that look like they deserve to be in prestigious departments. The general impression about this is just that it's not super deterministic, but there are definitely trends and things that people suddenly think makes them gravitate towards something when it comes to their first or last name and it's just the underlying thing about how these names are important and so people's ability to identify and change their name is important but what this looks like in a more contentious level is with gender because names are cues into the masculinity and femininity of a person as we saw with those children and the research so being told your name is essentially being told where you fit in to a spectrum and a social structure and these discussions have evolved so rapidly especially now that more communities have voices and so the thing is that these terms challenge preconceived notions about people and misgendering is its own form of a microaggression because it's basically telling someone what their goal should be And to be honest, it does highlight some of the more patriarchal views that a lot of cultures have, that once you identify this person by their name or by something that denotes that they're this gender, then you know that this is a joke you can make about them. You know that this is an assumption you make about whether they're the doctor or not, or other things that we suddenly have as our biases. And when we can't do that, it can be uncomfortable for a lot of people to not be able to already impress these notions on people. But we do have to evolve past that. And the American Psychological Association has put some guidelines on bias-free language that covers a lot of the general discourse. Some of the recurrent things that happen in it include the distinction between familiar and stranger. So the idea is that if you're using a pronoun or a name for someone that you don't know, maybe it's someone you're writing about, then they either should have some way in which they've said they want to be identified, or you just use a they to be neutral in general, and that way you're not misgendering even if you're not using the specific thing they may usually go by, because usually you only get that when you're either familiar or someone's at least told you, or someone they trust has told you. And what that does is it gives the power still to them. And then there's the whole idea that for 
talking about your doctor, let's say, if you don't need to talk about the doctor being a man or a woman or whatever, then you can just say the doctor or they, and that way it's only focused more on the job they're doing. And the naming doesn't really solve the inherent inequalities, even if someone is identified by the right one of the multiple pronouns that they could potentially be called. And there's an administrative and an educational critique from the growing list of individual pronouns. So obviously, if you're making material like a book or a sign up or whatever, or you're trying to take statistics meaningfully, it could be costly and make things difficult when there's an unlimited amount of genders. But you have to think about why you're taking the statistics in the first place and if it benefits to see that variety or not. And with race, there's the added thing of the history that would allow someone to want to change from one identifier of a race to another, even within the same skin complexion, because it's all political. So the African-American community is a perfect example of this and the different things that if you ask someone in their 50s versus their 20s versus their 80s, they'll have different relationships with the same group of words. This is why this conversation is for certain communities and not for others. My experience is being Daniel when I was born, then Danny or Dan, through a lot of being in America, and then Daniel when I came back to London, but Danny to people I'm close with. As far as my last name, it's anglicized from Akinola Odushola to Akinola Odusola, and the Akinola is my dad's middle name, so that's also about the family direction. I recognize that even though I'm not big on labels and when it comes to gender and identity and sexual preference and all that, I recognize for people that don't come from being a privilege of a guy, cis, etc., it's really important. That segues nicely into my take on, which is that people have different experiences with whatever they're named and whatever they're identified as and not to make assumptions even if someone doesn't identify as non-binary or choose to have an anglicized name or whatever that everyone has their own experience and their own idea of what they are on the inside and what impact they want to have on the world and what preconceived notions they want someone to have when they engage with them and taking that away from someone is its own form of oppression and it is a microaggression So the best thing you can do is understand the roots of why someone's making a change. And if there's someone familiar with you, maybe try and adjust, even if it is a child. In the the case of like the Dwayne Wade situation with his child, that's not abuse because that came from the child to match the inside with the outside. The majority needs to have a better way of being open about these conversations so it doesn't suppress like it's historically done and our notions can change over time so if we just allow the conversations to happen it may be the case that there isn't a functional use for some of these things in the future because the political side and the underlying comfort is already established The race and the gender discussions could easily be their own episodes and there'll probably be things that come up in 
an interview in the future. So if you're interested in doing an interview on here, I know it's only an average of 20 listeners, so it's not necessarily clout, but maybe it'll be fun. I can be fun sometimes. Until then, I hope this helps you engage in these kind of conversations. And if there's just one person that's changing or understanding their racial or gender or just name in itself and its impact in their given culture or society that you are becoming a neutral or a positive impact in that discussion for them and sometimes it's okay to just not be part of the discussion so this is daniel danny dan dautov saying until next time